one. Hey guys, welcome back to the Switch Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm also Jake, and today we have a very special episode. Today we have ESPN reporter and former college basketball player, Dallin Cuff. Dallin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Good. Jake and Jake, we good? All good here. There you go. Our first question is, what got you interested in basketball? What got me interested? Well, my dad. My pops played at, uh, at Duquesne, which is in Pittsburgh back in the 60s. Uh, that's where I grew up, in Pittsburgh. And just the Hoops family, I mean, athletic family, but a basketball kind of first family. Uh, he taught, like, the travel team in the town for, like, 20 years. It was, like, I guess a little bit of a precursor to AAU. Um, and that's just what I always grew up. I mean, from the like, youngest age, watching games. Uh, I was born in 83, so I was obsessed with Jordan for as long as I could remember. Uh, and watching stuff and film of him at Carolina when I was, like, three and four years old. Um, obviously, he was already with the Bulls then. We were able to see a lot of Bulls games. So just grew up in that world. My oldest brother played hoops. Another brother played a bunch of other sports. So that's just always been my – my first love was hoops, and it's giving, as my dad used to say, if you respect the game and you work hard, it can take you a lot of places, and I was fortunate for that to be true. So you mentioned Michael Jordan, but were there any other, like, players you kind of enjoyed watching, you know, tried being like? And did you also have a favorite team? Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, a favorite team, because growing up in Pittsburgh, there's no professional team. And like I said, I was a big Jordan fan, and you actually – WGN doesn't exist anymore, but I guess it was kind of like TBS, you know, it was a cable channel that we would get and you could, they would broadcast the Bulls game. So you happen to have the best player in the world that also would be able to see like, I don't know, 20 of his games on regular cable. And then he'd be on NBC all the time on the weekdays. You'd get like one game a week. I know that seems insane to you guys right now. That was hard to like find games, but that was, that was the world then. Um, so I watched him all the time, but I loved, I love Muggsy Bogues, uh, Kevin Johnson, you know, the guard from the Suns. Um, there was, I mean, he respected Barkley and appreciated what Barkley could do. And obviously with John Stockton and Malone, pick and roll was kind of like their thing forever. And you'd watch a lot of their stuff. So um, those were some of the guys in the in the pros. I definitely watched more professional basketball when I was little. It was probably in the mid-90s. I got really into that UCLA team that ended up winning the national title with Ty Sedney. And uh, uh, Toby Bailey was a freshman on that team. Obviously, O'Bannon brothers. Just the way they play, I like really gravitated toward that team. So I always kind of had a soft spot for UCLA. Um, but my favorite teams were always was always the Bulls, and then like UCLA, like Georgetown a lot. We watched Georgetown a lot growing up. Um, UNLV uh, was great when the Runner Rebels and and whatnot. And Fab Five was into that. The baggy shorts, the black socks. I had more black socks you could shake a stick at for some reason. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world when I was probably around your guys' age. Um, so yeah, man, it was uh, those were probably the biggest teams I liked growing up. Some of the biggest players, guys I followed. I wrote Muggsy Bogues a letter too that he actually responded to in like third grade, which was pretty cool. Um, how did you end up playing for Columbia basketball? Um, so, I mean, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a college basketball player. And um, my dad was always big and my mom too. And my mom was a teacher in, in the city in Pittsburgh for about 30 years. And they were big on education. And no matter what I wanted to play in terms of sports, I had to have the grades right. And I honestly didn't know what Columbia was when they first were you know, called. I had no clue. I've heard of obviously Yale and Harvard and Princeton and Penn. For instance, named Penn Miami primarily because they were good at basketball, so I knew that. Um, the other three schools are just, you know, I don't know how you don't know those schools. But a lot of – where I grew up in, like, my family, nobody ever gone to an Ivy League school or thought about that. So um, that was a pretty cool – my parents were pretty excited. And then when I went on a recruiting trip and I walked they, – they would fly you in there. They would fly us into Newark. And instead of picking us up, they'd meet us there, the coaches, and they would, we'd go to the train. And you guys as New Yorkers know this. The train comes out underneath Madison Square Garden. So, like, the amount of games I'd watch in the garden, I mean, it's the garden. 
And you come out and you come out of Penn Station, you look back and I'm like, whoa. And as my dad said, as he was there with me, he's like, your eyes were like saucers. Like he knew then it was a wrap, but no matter what happened the rest of the trip, I wanted to come. And I love, fell in love with New York. Um, I was fortunate to go to school there. I was not, not an idiot, but academically, let's just say they weren't letting me in without a jump shot. So that worked out in my favor. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was, it kind of came in late, late too. Like in my senior year, I probably first called in, uh, I think November or December. So it's pretty late into the into the game and I wasn't that heavily recruited I broke my wrist and played pretty much my whole junior year missed uh, pretty much all of the AU season and that's that spring and summer um so it was it was fortunate to say the least I was fortunate to go to school there uh, I wish we would have won some more games but in the end the life experience I got the education I gained on and off the field um my teammates that I've that are still so close with so many of them and it obviously it provided a platform to get into this business excuse me which is what I wanted to do um, and I was fortunate to this league because the NBC, NBC did a rights deal with them in 2012 was how I ended up getting a first national opportunity is because, uh, you know, there aren't that many guys that played Ivy League basketball that, that was were willing to, that were, were, were dying to talk about it. And NBC recognized that and gave me the opportunity. So I was fortunate to go to school there and have that experience. So, you know, like the four years of basketball, you know, what was that all like, you know, playing four years of Division One basketball and also just kind of you know, handling the academics as well as an Ivy League school. Yeah, guys, that freshman year was uh, to say it was a, it was a big eye opening experience. Like I, had, I was not prepared academically to go to school there. Um, I didn't know what a midterm was, so that was eye opening. First day when I was, I walked into my this woman Molly played uh, tennis. She lived on my floor, and uh, I walked into her room and say, "What's up?" She lived a couple hours down. I always talked to her, and she was in a couple. She was in my literature humanities class, which is where you read. The Odyssey, the Iliad, City of God, Life, and all those, all those type of books and the classics. And um, I see her and another friend with just books all on the floor. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, we have a midterm tomorrow. I'm like, what's that? Like, we're testing on everything we've learned at this point. I was like, what? They said, just sit down. And they've helped. I mean, you start to try to take it in. But I was not ready for that academically. Um, so that was hard to kind of get your feet under you there. Um, also athletically, my freshman year was, was, we were terrible. We were a bad basketball team. It's like how you learn, you learn, you see, I'd never lost in any team or any sport or anything in my life. And that was a lot to deal with. We were two and 25 guys. We lost 18 straight games. It was hellacious. Yes, exactly. I see your face. I feel you. Um, it was painful. Um, but you did realize like you see, you see what, what a team in mutiny looks like when you're mutiny, when, when the older guys are not listening to the coach and are mutiny, that when everybody's concerned about themselves, um, what happens to a team, you know, if you don't come together, if you're all fractured and you're all individuals, you see exactly like, I understand intimately losing because you can see it happening as it's happening um, and recognize some of the, those characteristics that, that losing teams or teams that aren't going to win big have. Uh, so that year was, that was the greatest year of my life, like socially in terms of growth and all in, in academically in terms of growth. But it was the hardest year, like in terms of athletics. It was a really uh, unique experience. Uh, sophomore, the end of the year, Joe Jones, who was the assistant at Villanova, got our head job and began to change the program. And the first thing was around that was commitment, and that was to each other, to the staff, to to the, to, the, to your teammates, and to yourself, and to what you wanted to be. Um, so we started to turn things around. I think we had the biggest turnaround, our second biggest turnaround in Ivy League history. Um, I think we won. You know, we had some big wins that next year. I started to build the program in the right direction, but more importantly, like just play the game more reflective of who we were as who we wanted to be as people and like kind of proud of what you're doing, although maybe not winning as much as you wanted to over the course of our career. But yeah, that was uh freshman year was hard. Career got better. 
Uh, getting to experience New York was awesome, as you guys know. To to live there is a special a special place. Uh, I wish I would have missed maybe it's just like a disclaimer to you guys when you go to college. If you have with like the opportunities you're afforded at school, like we had because I have a Columbia ID, you could go to like plays and shows for like five dollars, and any museum is free. All this stuff that you I didn't take advantage of. Like I went like certain classes you'd have to go, music humanities you'd have to go, art humanities you'd have to go. But like the stuff you can see and experience and feel in school. <laughs> At any school, but I'm particularly there with special. You got to take advantage of that because when you get in the real world, that stuff just does, that stuff goes, goes away. Like the community aspect, the leverage, the, the opportunities given to help educate people that are younger don't don't exist as you become older. So um, it was awesome. I loved my experience. Like I said, wish we won a few more games and I probably ate less brownie Sundays. If I, if I weighed like 15 pounds less, I'd probably be a better player. But other than that, we were good. <laughs> so what got you interested in the whole broadcasting area of sports? Oh, when I was growing up, man, I thought I had to figure it out when I was like seven or eight. I was like, I'll go to the NBA. After that, I'll, I'll broadcast games like that guy, Bill Walton, or, you know, he's on TV all the time. I could do what he does. I could sit, I'd sit there in the game and call the game. And that was kind of what I thought would happen. And as you get older, you kind of realize like, oh, it's not exactly how this works. And then uh, going into my senior year of college, uh, we were a young team. I was a captain of a, a very talented young team, but our, our freshman, sophomore class was all young guys. So coach was like, all right, I need you to you got to be there for every workout. And I was like, okay, I'm going to work on campus to make money. I had a camp job at campus at the office of general counsel for all four years. I was there. Those people were great to me and helped me in many ways too. I think that's the theme you'll see. There's a lot of people help you along the way in life. And I think it's important to recognize those folks that, that, that do things to help change your life. Um, because not everybody has to do that. There's, you know, people choosing to do that. Um, so I was going into that. I was doing that, but then I got a coach. Was like, we can get you an internship. I think at MSG, Madison Square Garden Network. This guy, Mike Quick, hey, Quick was usually the biggest guy in sports broadcasting in the tri-state area. All the high school, like that was that was his area. This high school and everybody that grew up in you know Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island, New York, um, the city, whatever. Everybody knew Mike Quick, and I didn't grow up there, but I had heard about him. He came to a couple of our games and stuff. He was great. Helped me get this internship there, and it was weird. They had just had a management takeover, and that was also a learning experience. It was corrosive. People were, we were miserable from me cutting, you know, the Padres Mets highlight at 2 a.m., literally 2 a.m. East Coast time, to the people on air were just unhappy. And it was weird. And that was in 2005. It was before the economic meltdown of 08, where guys in my school and a lot of my teammates were already signing jobs to go work at Goldman Sachs or Bear Stearns, which of course went kaput, as did Lehman and other places. They were getting like $10,000 signing bonuses and, you know, making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year out of school. Um, and all the guys around me working with me were like, what are you doing? Why, why aren't you in Columbia? Why are you doing this? What are you doing? You should be in finance. I couldn't add, I wasn't going to be in finance, but what it did make me think is maybe I should explore other things. If everybody's so miserable here, maybe the job isn't what I thought it was. Um, so I go and work to marketing advertising, got a job in that, uh, right out of school. And just as I get that job that summer, Columbia launched a radio station. It used to just be kid student runs a radio station. Um, they wanted to have a professional station. They were bringing Jerry Recco from WFAN. Recco became like my, my boys. Um, but we'll have him do play by play. Do you want to be the analyst? Sure. I look great. I'm like, all right, our first game's at Duke. Awesome. That sounds really cool. We did, I remember it was like a tournament game there. Uh, like one of those coaches, were, it was a, the 2K tournament. I don't know if they didn't have that anymore, but it was this campus site for that. So there's two games before. There's our game after against Duke, and there's a game before us. So that game before us, um, was short and they bought a bunch of radio time, a TV, like radio time to fill like a pregame show. So we had like a 50 minute fill to get to our game. 
And Reco's like, dude, 50 million is like an eternity in broadcasting. And I was like, these are my best friends. I hang with them all. Just, let's just talk about the guys. You can go through the whole team. We can go through their schedule. Like, let's just – it was awesome. It was an amazing experience. It was hard to watch your team play and be – that's the first game you're not playing, and it's at Duke. Um, but soon I took the headset off. I was like, all right, I, this, is, this is what I have to do. I just got to figure out how to do it. So it took me basically five years of working in marketing advertising, and I would say – networking with anybody I met in the broadcasting world, anybody I thought that could help me down the road. And a lot of those things actually came from the advertising space. Um, when Verizon launched Verizon Fios, coincidentally, we were their agency. Um, and so I knew the people in their content team. And I was like, all right, how do I get, I'm also a broadcaster. Like, how do I get into what these games are, these high school games are going to do? And they're like, you're a broadcaster? What the hell are you talking about? And I was like, trust me, I just like doing a side, blah, blah. So I've had that as like a side gig and use some of those relationships. And obviously my quick, like still at Martin MSG Varsity helps me get in now if this MSG launched MSG Varsity, which is a high school only network in the New York area. So he helped me get in there. Same thing. Like I maintained that relationship for years. And he's an awesome dude. So integral in my career and in, in not only getting me the job, but helped me grow early on. Um, but after five years, basically I started about four years in, I started being able to do some TV games for Varsity, TV games for Verizon. And then my last job in advertising, I just saved as much money as I could that last year. I knew I was going to quit basically and try to go all in. And uh, did that, and it just it worked. I mean, you've worked for a few different networks now, but you know, obviously, you're now at ESPN. You know, what's it been like at ESPN? You know, probably the biggest sports network there is. So, you know, what's it been like there? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the biggest sports networks, but also it's one of the biggest just media companies in the world. And I think you you you, you recognize the difference. Uh, NBC is an outstanding organization. I got to work for them, as you mentioned, worked for CBS. But their sports operations can be smaller. And also what I worked in sometimes was, was smaller. And I think that relative to other things, I did the NBC, for NBC, I did the Olympics. That's the biggest thing I've ever done. And that's when you see the full weight of like those type of organizations where they put their full weight behind things. You feel the resources, the talent, the skill level. Like when I, being doing the Olympics in Rio was like being part of an all-star team. It was an amazing experience. And after that, leaving to go to ESPN, you then see what ESPN has to offer. And you also see some of its challenges as the market leader how people view them, how they change some of the things they do based on that, which I, you may or may not agree with. I mean, I may or may not agree with how we do some things. Um, but overall, I think you understand too, it's the same thing. There are a lot of great people there, but there's a lot of stuff they do. And how to navigate that huge you know, company is a challenge. How to find your space within it, how to try to push to keep doing things that you're, that you're, inve- that you're personally invested in that fulfill you um, and try to continue to help whatever group you're working with be the best group they can be um so i think yeah working for them is it's awesome the exposure is great visibility obviously is important at espn but i do think working with a lot of really good people has been the biggest thing uh, both of course on camera but more importantly people behind the camera are top notch uh and you you learn a ton from them and i was fortunate to learn a lot from a lot of different people there what are your thoughts on the college basketball season <laughs> being a primarily college basketball analyst uh, it's, I mean, it's a year that's kind of like last year in the fact that there's no, there's no team that is separated. There's no great team yet. Maybe one will emerge. There are a lot of really good teams. There are there's probably more teams that could win a championship year than this year than I remember in, in, in recent memory that, you know, there's, you know, could be 12 teams right now. If you go down the list, it could win the whole thing, which is pretty cool, which makes for a pretty big tournament or pretty interesting tournament. It makes for a lot of surprising results during the regular season though, too, because again, nobody, is, you know, Gonzaga from a couple of years ago or Baylor from a couple of years ago uh, or Kentucky from their, their undefeated season to the final four. And you can run through the Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, 2019 teams that were all number one seeds with Zion and crew at Duke. And 
none of those teams really exist this year as of now. And I'm not sure anybody gets there, but there will be a lot of great competition, a lot of great teams, a lot of really good teams that can win this thing. And it's still two months to go. So teams do develop and get better. And maybe one team will hit that level, hit that greatness and hit a separation point and really kind of rise above the rest. But it's been a fun year and it's shaping up to be just a really interesting one. So, I mean, do you have any, like, you know, teams to keep an eye on that you think are have been a little under the radar this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of under the radar, it depends on how, how, how low you want your radar to go. But I do think that, like, K-State's top five in the country now. I just don't think people know that or pay attention to that. Um, Keontae Johnson is probably the best story in college basketball. For you guys are aware of him, you know, two years ago, he collapsed on the court at Florida. He was SEC's, SEC preseason player of the year that year. Uh, doesn't play again until this year, and he's been outstanding. Marquise Noel is just five eight jitterbug that gets you. He ain't Trey Young, but he's got a little Trey Young in him. And he'll shoot it from thirty, and he can make it. He's got a great change of pace. He's one of the best guys in the country in assists. Uh, the other day, he had thirteen nine assists, and I think eight rebounds, and eight rebounds at five eight. That ain't easy to do either. Um, and Jerome Tang is a first year head coach. When he took the job, they were picked last in the league. They had two players. It's an amazing turnaround story. So I think K-State is a team that has, you know, very, very, you know, just huge potential. Um, I think what you're seeing, too, and we talked about this a little bit the last couple of days, a lot of the teams that are blue bloods aren't necessarily the teams you're going to think about first to win a championship. Duke, probably not there. Kentucky, probably not there. You know, there, there are teams like that that people all are aware of that aren't quite what they just their assumptions are. Um, as you kind of look through, I mean, some other teams – Creighton had had a six-game run this year where they lost a lot. They lost six straight games, but they were playing without Ryan Kalkbrenner. Uh, they had a great win this weekend against Xavier. I think that team could come on. They're very offensively gifted. Ironically, Xavier, who they beat, they don't defend as well as they need to. But, again, if you're looking for teams that people don't talk about as much, Xavier could be a team that's very interesting. Marquette is a team that's very interesting. Those are all three Big East teams, actually. They just rattled off there. Houston was number one in the nation, so they lost to Temple. I think they will be the number one overall seed when we get to the tournament elite defending and rebounding team that has more scoring they've had in recent years. They could win the whole thing. Um, I mean, you could keep rolling through T. There's a lot of different squads that are, that are in the mix. Um, and there are some of the blue blood still there. Obviously Kansas is still there. Purdue has been outstanding all year. They're not a blue blood, but Purdue is probably the national player of the year in Zach Eady, um, who's seven foot four, an absolute monster. Alabama got run this weekend, but Bama's very, very good. These guys just didn't show up with their, High-level players, they can shoot threes. Modern basketball, threes, layups, and free throws. They defend with versatility. And they also have Brandon Miller, who's probably a top three pick in the draft. So um, there's some of the teams that come to mind, but there's there's a lot this year. Um, so for our favorite teams, I'm a UConn fan. He's a Syracuse fan. So, I mean, okay, UConn, we've had some big wins versus, like, Alabama or Iowa State, Creighton. And then we've had some tough, like, really crushing losses, like, at home to – St. John's and then Syracuse had it yeah. on and off. Like at the beginning, they lost to Colgate, and now we're coming back like better. So, what are your thoughts on those two teams? Well, UConn at one point was the best team in the country. You know, about five weeks in the season, they were they were outstanding through basically through all the way through December. They had beaten, they were unbeaten. What were they thirteen and zero? And I think they won every game by double digits. And as you mentioned, they weren't playing slouches; like they were playing good teams. Um, they've run into a, a, a struggle here. They, I think most importantly, that team's built on defense, and they're kind of in the image of Danny Hurley, their coach. And they have not guarded as well as they need to. They just, they've not been committed. They've taken some wild shots and your offense affects your defense. Not just making shots makes you gives guys bounce. When you're making shots, you're feeling better. You're playing hard on the defensive end. It's not necessarily what coaches want. Shouldn't, shouldn't be that way. Just, just kind of human nature, but also the ball off the rim hurts your defense at times. The guys are able to pick it up. 
get out in transition and play more kind of ahead of your defense. So their defense has not been what it was before. Um, I think they've got to guard better individually and collectively as a team. They can get there though. I still, I still believe in their talent. Like they're a team that could win the whole thing and people would be you know shocked by that and their struggles. I think they've lost six of eight right now. Um, so that, I think people would be surprised by that, but that's, they're capable of it and they're capable right in the ship. The season is an absolute marathon. It's very, very long. Syracuse, the other side, as we, we guys, I mean, we are recording this during the Virginia game. So I paused it at halftime. So I, I saw that they were down a point at half. We'll see how that goes. Um, they're just not, they are, they're not what they used to be. And it's been away for a couple of years now. They don't get pros anymore. It's a different situation. You've got some good college players. They don't have NBA lottery picks. And they had that for a very long time. The zone is not as effective with guys that are smaller in stature and not as quick. It's easier to cut up their offense, their defense. They're not a very good defensive rebounding team. They have some guys who can get you buckets. Joe Girard gets you a ton of, ton of buckets. Judah Mintz is an outstanding player. Jesse Edwards is up and down but can be good. Syracuse overall, this is kind of like their last stand. They'd have to beat Virginia and put together an amazing run to get the NCAA tournament. Um, but that's kind of the problem with the ACC this year is there aren't that many quad one games. Quad one games are obviously the – the highest rated games, the most, the most difficult games to win. That's what the committee looks like, depending upon if it's home, road, or neutral, where you rank equals a quad one game. And this would be a quad one home game for them with Virginia. They only have only a team in the league that really offers you that is North Carolina, who they lost to last week. Um, and North Carolina is even on the border of that. So long story short, sorry, Jake. Syracuse isn't very good this year. I understand. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a basically a whole freshman team plus uh... – you know, you have Gerard and Edwards are still there. Yeah. But for, like, at the end, who was your pick to win it all? I mean, just love it. Ooh, um, that's hard. I mean, I, I mean, not to be a cop-out, but that bracket really matters because that's when you can see who you're actually playing. So when you're when, without, when the app, within the abstract, like I just said, there's a bunch of teams that could win it. Um, if I was putting money on a team, if I was putting money on a team to get to a Final Four, I would say it's going to be Houston. Like Houston is the most consistent in terms of they rebound and defend every night. They're missing free throws concerns. They're not a good free throw shooting team. That's what happened. They lost the Temple as well as, you know, not shooting the ball well from the field. Um, but the final four is in Houston. Those guys have had success in recent years in the tournament. Kelvin Sampson is a very good coach. And when you're built on defense and rebounding and kind of punishing teams like that, and they have scoring, I think that stuff can translate and it already has for teams in the past. So if I, that I feel probably the best about in terms of the team getting there. But until you see the path, it really is – you can say anything. Like I said this year, so many teams can beat so many teams. It's different than a couple of years ago when we had Gonzaga and Baylor. It's kind of like who pick one of the two. Who do you think is going to – who's going to be who? And we actually saw that matchup, and we saw Baylor throttle them. And it was one of the most impressive performances in recent memory in a national championship game. But we do not have that situation this year. So throughout, like, your you know, career – doing like being an analyst what do you what would you say like your favorite game you ever covered was this is funny this is one of the random connects like the first time i ever did um when i was still working in marketing and advertising it was probably my you know fourth year's broadcasting as a side job it was when the big east expanded to 16 they put all 16 teams in their in their conference tournament for the first time uh and they had no um no media partner for the first round so again I was Verizon was my client. The Big East was our one of was one of our uh, was one of our sponsors. We we, we sponsored the Big East, and I said, "Well, where are these games going to air?" And they said, "We're going to put them online." And this is in two thousand nine, so online is you know that's you know it's like a dark ages almost compared to now. I said, "Well, who's going to broadcast?" And I said, well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I said, well, "I can do that. 
Like, what do you mean? Same thing. What do you mean? Well, I work as a broadcaster side job. They're like, all right, would you take 150 bucks a game? Deal. They could have told me to do it for free. I said, deal. No matter what, you got to take any opportunity to be on air. And I'd never had done a game on like video, if you will. It was always radio at that time. So I was, it wasn't TV. So that's why I say video. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Jason Benetti, but I'm doing three games with, with one guy. And then this one guy, Jason Benetti, I'm going to work with to break up the play by play guys day. I'm doing all four games. This guy, Tom, is doing three, and then Jason's coming in for the third one. Um, he shows up. I'm like, you know, waiting to see what's going to happen in this game. It was – he's the best play-by-play guy I've ever worked with. It was the first time I ever worked with somebody in that regard, like on, on a video. He was amazing. You see him now. He's amazing. He's one of the best in the business. His career has, has no limits. Um, but I got to work with him, so that was truly memorable. But then the next day was – I was still covering stuff, but for them, but as like, a, we were doing interviews on the sidelines or whatever, and not on these games now on ESPN, but that was the game in the six overtime UConn uh, Syracuse game. Yeah. So, so that was that game sitting there. If there's, I think Johnny Flynn misses a shot to go in the fifth overtime. And it kind of falls into the press row and it's, I'm st- sitting there looking at it. I was like, you got, got to go again. He's like, Oh man, I'm exhausted. Like, yeah, no doubt. He walks back to the huddle. Uh, so that game, that kind of experience is one of the most memorable experiences for me because of where I was and started. Not much what I had to work with, but then sitting there courtside for that game till two in the morning, being like, I'm getting paid to be here, was that first like truly, you know, vivid realization. I know I'm fortunate in my job now, and I try to remember that all the time, but there is still one of those moments of like, this is bananas that I'm getting paid to sit here right now. And our last our last question is going to be non-basketball related since I'm a huge Premier League fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. So Let's go! What are your thoughts on their, their miraculous run this season coming out of nowhere as the number one team in the Prem? And do you think they can hold on to win it all? I'm a believer they can hold on. I was a believer as recently after Christmas. Um, they were plus 250, so two and a half times your money. I'm not promoting you guys gamble, but just saying it's becoming part of the, part of the landscape, or it is part of the landscape. Uh, so I threw some shekels on that. I believe that. I thought that they could get it done. Uh, once they beat Spurs, I truly felt it that way. Now Man United uh, was it now two weekends ago, I guess. Just being down, I thought like they were going to find a way to get to get that win. Uh, five points with a game in hand over City. I, I mean, I know they got to play City twice, and I think one of them's well in the fifteenth here, so two weeks away. Um, I'm pumped, man. I just never. It, it's the unexpected nature of it because I became an Arsenal fan in 0506. That was the year they went to the Champions League final. Last time that's happened, they lose to Barca. Jens Lehmann gets red carded. It was a brutal loss. But you're as a fan, you think like this is kind of this is awesome. Like I love this team. I'm so into this now. And they're one of the best teams. They'll always be there. Well, they've been in the Champions League in five years now. And just to get back there was kind of the goal this year. Just to get in the top four and to actually be not in the top four, but leading the thing right now and having that having a clear path to win it all. Let's just say if they don't, I'm gonna be absolutely crushed. Just completely crushed. It's basically like the Steelers and Arsenal are the only team, two teams I care about anymore. They have a personal fan connection that's one thing about this business like when you're always involved it's hard to you lose the fandom piece of it um so that's it would be awesome to see them hold on i think they can do it i may have to go there in april to see a game to get on board but uh yeah it's been it's been a pretty ma- amazing year so that's pretty much going to wrap up our interview for you Dallin. thank you so, so much for hopping on the show have a great rest of your day thank you anytime fellas be well